morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's great to have you guys with us today. And for those who are joining us online, we're in a series called Stranger Things in the Bible, if you're new with us uh, today. And we've been looking at some strange things in the Bible. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn in your Bible this morning to Matthew 11, uh, verse 2. Matthew 11, verse 2. Uh, I want to share with you what I believe is the greatest misconception of long-lasting, deep friendships. There's a misconception in our society of what a long-lasting, deep friendship consists of. Many people think that long-lasting, deep friendships, which most people don't have deep, long-lasting friendships, and here's a reason, they think it involves no conflict at all. That long-lasting friends, long time. I have friends who are 20-plus years into it. Keith Rao, our campus pastor, I've known him since he was 14, right? Like, we've been friends for many. We all think there's never been conflict in those relationships. And that is actually the furthest thing from the truth. Any deep, long-lasting friendship, relationship, has gone through the crucible of great conflict. If you've, you think that marriages, like, hey, man, that's a great marriage. They never fight. There's something wrong. They don't trust each other. And there's a lot of hiding going on. And so my, I guess, interaction with this came about 15 years ago. I was on staff at a church, and my best friend was on staff. And some things happened where I actually had become part of the decision to have my best friend fired. And um, it was something that, you know, that had to be done. Uh, with that, but my best friend was really angry with me, angry with the church, and we didn't talk for several months. And this is a friend that we talked every day. Like, we did everything together, and then completely cut each other off. And I'll never forget the day that, that it, it, we, we connected back up. I'd finished my first book, and he said, I, I want a copy of your book. I, the Blue, just had uh, called me, because we didn't text back then. And uh, <laughs> Call, you know, like phone calls, guys. That's when you answer young people. When you answer it, when that thing rings, you hit the green button. Uh, so he did that, and uh, he, he came, and we both cried, and we hugged. And I want to tell you that we had more conflict after that. There's been seasons of conflict that we've been through as best friends. And today, our friendship, I can trust that guy. We, we know things about each other that nobody will ever find out, right? Right? They're just, they're just nothing illegal. Come on. Breathe, breathe easily. But the people who are the closest in my life to me have been through conflict with me. It's not the absence of conflict that makes a great friendship or marriage. It's the ability to navigate that conflict, to talk through that conflict. And what I want to do today is help you understand one of the strangest conversations in the Bible between two friends. And it was between John the Baptist and Jesus. Very, very strange conversation. And John the Baptist says one of the most offensive things to Jesus that Jesus will ever hear in his ministry. And it was not just privately to Jesus, it was publicly to Jesus. Now, here's the backdrop. Uh, John has been arrested by Herod. Uh, Herod had been doing a lot of detestable, sexually immoral things. John the Baptist, being the prophet that he was, called him out and was like, hey, you can't do that. This is wrong. And so Herod brings him there. And he knows, John knows, I'm going to die here. I am not getting out of here. And remember, John the Baptist, remember how great that he was, he was still a human being. Now, Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, never sinned. That was not said about John. Now, I want you to look at John 11 too. While John is in prison, what happens in the conversation that ensues between him and Jesus? 
Verse 2 of Matthew 11 says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. This is important. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Pause on that for a second. That's the most offensive question that Jesus can have, especially coming from John the Baptist. Why is that? John was revered as the second Moses or Elijah to people. Number one, he was greatly respected, highly influential. He baptized him in the River Jordan, right? He saw the dove descending. He's the one who's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, John was the guy who did all this. Now John is in prison. John knows that he's on death row. Death's coming. And here's what he's asking Jesus. Are you going to do something about what's happening to me? If you're going to be the Messiah, go ahead and take over Rome, crush Rome. Why aren't you doing more for my situation? I'm going to die, bro. Like, so are you the guy or somebody else going to actually do the job? Because you're not doing the job. And here's the reason why John said that. All of Israel, and you probably have heard this, expected a political Messiah to do what the other kings and leaders someone who crushed the opposing nation. Like Moses, remember? They escaped through the Red Sea. Egypt died in the Red Sea. You had leaders who rose up and began to destroy the other nations that were coming against them. They always saw this happen. So they were going through what they had known, nothing wrong. And John was just human. Number one, he expected the Messiah to do something politically, take down Rome. He wasn't seeing that progress. And now the clock is ticking. Because his head will be on a platter, literally, if, if something doesn't happen. And so he brings these, this anxiety to Jesus, and he questions Jesus in front of his disciples, with his disciples coming to him asking this question. Like, look, man, are you the one? Are you, are, is somebody else going to step up? You're not doing your job. That's one thing you have to realize anxiety does. I mean, there's a sidebar for you. Whenever things happen in the world, and people are like, why aren't you doing more? You need to do more. You're not doing enough. That's anxiety. You can fix this. Wield your power. And that's what John was doing there. And he is asked a very offensive question to Jesus. The Pharisees, Jesus' own disciples never came up at that hard. And then look how Jesus responds to them. He says in verse 4, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And verse 6 is powerful. This is a beatitude that was not in the original beatitudes of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and tell him, blessed or God blesses those who do not turn away because of me, who are not offended that I'm not doing things according to their agenda. Because John had an agenda. He said, send that message back to John because he shows him what the real Messiah is going to do. And then what Jesus says next is so powerful. I shared this with you in the Romans 16, our Romans series. But Jesus could have turned away and said anything he wanted to say. He could have defended his Messiahship to the crowds and his disciples. He could have said, how dare John, that scumbag, Call me into question. Who does John think he is? Now, that's probably what I would have done. I pro- I'm human. I'd be like, hey, guys, let me just go ahead and clear, let's, let's clear the air with this. 
right? Let's clear the air. Here's what Jesus does, and this is powerful. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking to him, that being John the Baptist, about the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. That is the greatest compliment anybody has ever been given in human history. You say, how so? The Jews regarded the prophets and the law as the ultimate to anything, the ultimate authority. To them, Moses, remember in Abraham we talked about hell? Those guys would be like next to God, like they just considered in the Jewish world that. He said, you know what? He's more than any of those guys ever were. Like Jesus says, okay, there's me, I'm the Messiah, but right below me there's a guy named John the Baptist who's more than a prophet. He just rocked their world. Remember, Matthew was a Jew speaking to Jewish people, really wanted to hammer it home. And then he says this, John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer. Then he's quoting the Torah. He's quoting the, the Old Testament to them. Refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 11, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What you see here is an exchange. You see John unload his anxieties, his anger, his frustration, his discontentment, and his expectations upon Jesus. Just unloads it upon him. And what I want to do this morning with this strange conversation and what happens is show you how Jesus and John's conversation is a parallel to you and I and to our Heavenly Father with how we should interact with Him. You've probably, like me, heard that you need to be, have pomp and circumstance whenever you're approaching God. Boy, Heavenly Father, I pray today that thee, like, you know, use the King James English or... You have your prayer voice. You remember the, the, the people, the, the old prayer warriors? They'll talk about this and they're like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like they're just going to a whole, like, become a different person. And we're taught that you need, to, you need to be careful what you say to God. You be very careful how, how you tread. You better fear the Lord. But you do need to have a fear of God, which means an awe of Him that changes your life. But what I want to share with you today is insight into how you can have a deep, lasting friendship and relationship with your heavenly Father through Christ. I want you to write this down because here is what John knew about Jesus and what we should know about our heavenly Father is that God can handle our biggest emotional struggles with Him. With Him. I was talking with someone the other day and they said, well, you know, yeah, I followed Jesus, but I can't reconcile this. I just can't fathom why God would. And my response to the person was, well, have you told him about it? No. I said, you need to go to God in prayer and say, God, I have a rub with you. There's something I don't understand. And see, we all have emotional struggles with God. Sometimes it's our past. Sometimes we think God didn't get it right in the past. Or sometimes it's something that's happening to us now. It's the death of a loved one. It's an untimely thing that happens. And we bottle up these emotional struggles, and we never unload them upon God because we're taught falsely, you better not do that to God. And John the Baptist, who Jesus says the greatest person ever, unloads upon Jesus. Anxiety, anger, and frustration. 
And, and, and I want you to understand that is key to you having a deep, long-lasting friendship with God. You've got to understand to unload your emotional struggles you do have with Him. There are things that when I, so when I first moved to Thrive and God blessed our church dramatically, we only had 20 people and it began to grow, my rub with God for a whole year was, why didn't you do this in Florida? Why'd you move me all the way here? I was upset with God and I verbalized it to him, but I wasn't always like that. I remember when I watched Forrest Gump after I gave my life to Christ. Anybody Forrest Gump fans in here? Good. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. Great movie. So I'll never forget when Lieutenant Dan, his commanding officer, had his legs amputated, right? And Lieutenant Dan is angry at the world and he's angry at God. And they go out on the shrimp boat that, that evening and the storms come and it's just raging. And I'll never forget watching Lieutenant Dan on that mast, the very top of the, the boat. And he's just screaming at the creator. He's just like railing him. He's screaming obscenities. And I'm just thinking, Lieutenant Dan, oh man, that's not good. You shouldn't do that to God. What are you doing? That's how I was thinking, because I was always told, don't you? Oh, no, 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 don't, don't. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that to God. And Forrest Gump said something very profound the next morning when all the storms subside. You see, they got all the shrimp, and it's almost like God blessed them with the shrimp. He said, and Lieutenant Dan made peace with God that day. <laughs> but there's something really profound with that, because what did Lieutenant Dan do? He unloaded his emotional struggles with how he had been treated in life with God. He unloaded his anger. He unloaded his frustration. He did the same thing that John the Baptist did with one question to Jesus. And I want you to understand that God can handle it. A lot of times we just keep it from him, but he can handle it. And if we don't do this, if we don't understand this, here's what's going to happen. Here's my fear. If we don't believe this, we will end up having a surface level, fragile relationship with God. Any relationship without conflict is surface level. You don't know how close you are to somebody until you go through something with somebody, until you're angry at them, until you're disappointed with them, until something happens where you feel like they've trespassed you. You don't know how strong that relationship is. And the same way, I believe too many followers of Jesus, it's just surface level. Our prayers like, you know, it's cool for VBS for my son who's seven. There's a point in time, though, we've got to end up being real with our Heavenly Father sharing and pouring out to him that prayer is like a song that we sing of tears and hurt. It's not just, it's not just all the God bless me and do good things for me. I'm currently reading a grief observed, and, observed, and, I, and I posted this online the other day by C.S. Lewis. I've never read that book, and I've had that book for almost 20 years. You know why? Because when I first got into following Jesus, I didn't think I needed to understand grief because I hadn't lost anything yet. I just saw this book the other day. I said, wow, I went through a lot of grief, losing mom, mom, dad, grandma, all these people, all this stuff. I said, I want to read this. And all the book is, this is a, and this is so beautiful. If you've read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, it's one of the most brilliant works ever, ever, that just dispels philosophy. C.S. Lewis is brilliant. This book here is C.S. Lewis emotionally vomits all over paper. He is angry at God. He's confused. He married uh, his wife who had cancer and only got to spend a little bit of time with her before she died. And then he talks about the grief he ensued after and how he felt about it. And in that, he talks about how he had grown closer to God through all of that. And my fear is we're just not doing that. We keep God at, 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 at arm's length. I told a couple this this morning. 
The people in your life who always tell you they're fine when they're not fine don't trust you. I'm going to say it one more time. Because I'm fine is the greatest Christian lie ever, right? How you doing? I'm fine. The greatest lie of marriage, too. You okay, honey? I'm fine. The, way, the tone in which she says it, gentlemen, will let you know she's fine or not. You know, there's like different varying levels of I'm fine. But people who trust you will say, I actually, no, I, I think we need to talk. I just want to be honest and open with you. Here's some, here's some overdue library books I need to just talk about. Here's some past due fees we need to deal with. And that's a strong relationship. Luckily, I'm married to a woman who's Colombian and Italian, so I never have to guess what she's thinking. She never says, I'm fine. She will tell me exactly how she feels. I was caring for her the other day, and, uh, and, and so I brought some food up to her. She wasn't feeling well, so I bring food up to her, and she says, thank you, that's really great, but you know what? You never bring napkins. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just, it's just, but that's, that's the relationship that we have, right? It's strong. So recently I was told this. My son hit about four. He became very sarcastic, angry, and just, blow, just blows up on me, blows up on me. Like, just like, he does great at school. He'll come home, and I'm there. Hey, bud, how you doing? He'll just, just goes off on me. I don't even know what's wrong. He, I mean, he's just come in the door. And, he's, and he gets mad. He snaps his finger. He's doing this. And he just starts going off. I'm thinking, Lord, give me patience, or, or I'm going to go to jail for hurting this kid. <laughs> See, if you're a parent, you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I if you're not a parent, you're like, how dare you? It's like, no, no, you think that way. Don't let the neighbors hear me yelling so loud. But he could, and, and here's the thing that I've realized. He's learned to do this now, which is beautiful. Well, I need to tell you how I feel about this. When you did this, it made me feel this way. And I'm like, no, 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 because I'm his coach too, right? It's hard coaching your son in sports. And I said, buddy, buddy, no, I am sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel that way. Really, to be honest with you, we have this saying in our household, what you feel may not be real even though you feel that way. So let's let, let's, let's let truth step in. And he brings these emotions to me. He brings these feelings. And sometimes he thinks I've been unfair to him. Like we're playing Fortnite together and he doesn't think I save him fast enough and go revive him fast enough. <laughs> right? We, we do that together. He's just like, well, I just feel like you just don't care about me. I was like, bro. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, and here's the beautiful part about this. Our Heavenly Father wants the same relationship with us. He wants us, like my seven-year-old son comes to me, and says, Daddy, I, I'm sorry, but you know, when you did this, I just felt like this is what you were doing. And some of you need to do that with God. You need to come to Him and do that. Because what my son does to me and what I've learned to do to my Heavenly Father and, is this. Be vulnerable and transparent to Him. Be vulnerable and transparent Stop bottling everything up. Stop keeping it all down. Any great relationship has this type of exchange. Jesus wasn't offended by that. He used it as an opportunity. And our Heavenly Father is not offended when you're upset about something. Why did that person die? Why did it turn out this way? Why did the divorce go through? This is not what I planned for with a job. Why did all my 401k get eaten up through a bad, you know what I mean? all these things you deal with, and God wants to hear that from you. Be vulnerable and transparent. If you don't believe that's true, one of the largest books of the Bible 
That's all it is. I call it emotionally vomiting on, on, on the pages. It's the psalmist. So sometimes it's David, sometimes it's Asaph, different ones. But in Psalm uh, um, 10 verse 1, look at what he says. He says, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide? Why do you stand so far away and why do you hide? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but to me, that sounds like he's accusing God. Does, let me, can I ask you a question? Does God stand far away from us? Does God hide from us? But that's how he felt in the moment. He explained his true feelings to God. He was open to God. He was vulnerable and transparent. And I want to read this to you, and you can write this down in your notes. It's Psalm 77, 1, verses 1 through 8. And I want you, to, I want you just to listen to this, because this is powerful, what the psalmist writes here. He says, I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, watch this now, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed, with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. Someone's just being real, being vulnerable, transparent. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. You ever felt that way before? And the psalmist is just laying it out there to God. And what the beautiful thing is, the Lord wanted this in the Bible. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, and it's in there. He says, I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? You've probably never read that in Scripture, have you? I mean, look at the list that the psalmist is laying out, that your promises will never come to pass. See, we would think that would be sacrilegious. That's a Lieutenant Dan type move, isn't it? And you can tell when he wrote this, he wasn't saying, oh Lord, how long will you? He's like, God, how long? Like, like you can tell the, the tone of this. And verse 9 says, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Wow. And that is somebody who God allowed to write parts of the Bible. That's not sacrilegious. That's actually a needed part of a deep, long-lasting relationship with the Lord. That you air your grievances. You come to Him. And so this is the way you have to do this. Here are three things you've got to share with God. I want to share with you this morning. First of all, share your hurt with God. Your hurt are the scars and the wounds of your past. Some of you need to go to God and say, I'm really disappointed the way that turned out. Some of you think you're over it, but you're not. Because you're still angry. You're still having imaginary conversations. And to be honest, I said before, you're kind of wishing the person harm. You're not wishing them good. Or you're just saying, you're not wishing them anything. God, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for them, all right. I'll pray somebody slashes those tires. <laughs> That's not the type of prayer Jesus you're, you're hurt. Share your hurt. See, here's our problem. We bottle it all up. And see, Scripture tells us that God will catch all of your tears and hold them in a bottle. The problem is we bottle up our tears. The more you bottle up your tears, the less God can keep them in a bottle. The less He can heal you. 
until you come to God with that and share the grief, uh, share the hurt that you've had from the past, share the disappointment with, with him. Secondly, share your anger with God. John the Baptist was angry. To say, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else was in a state of anger because he hoped and wished Jesus would do more with the influence that he had. You might say, oh, I'm not angry at God. There are things in our past that we bottle down so deep of what happened even in our childhood. We need to come to God and say, God, yeah, I'm a little angry about that. Why did, it, why did this have to go that route? Share your anger. And then finally, share your need to God. What is that specific need that you have? Is it to be healed from a hurt from the past? Is it unresolved conflict? Is it something that dealt with a relationship? Is it something that dealt with a disappointment? Share your need to your heavenly Father. Exactly what you need from him. Jesus knew what John needed when he said that. He knew where John was going with that. And that's why he answered the way that he did. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you want a real relationship with God, Stop avoiding the conflict. Stop avoiding the tension. Read the book of Job. Job gets ticked with God. You know, you know what, my wife said this one time, and it was so profound about the book of Job. She says, yeah, I just, I don't really like the book. How dare you? I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful, one of the most beautiful poetic pieces ever in history. Even you know, non-Christian scholars, they say, no, yeah, I know, but yeah, sure, he got twice as much back, but it doesn't make up the people he lost. She's like, I mean, think about you. Well, what if somebody gave you a whole bunch of money because your mom died? Does that, like, bring her back? I'm like, no. She's like, hey, you're right. Huh. Bring those things to God. He can handle it. He can handle your hurt and your anxiety. One of the most amazing things that Jesus did for another disciple was this. After Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples didn't believe. They were bewildered. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, they, it, it was something that they, they didn't immediately say, he's Lord, let's go preach the gospel. There's a lot of processing going on. Like, all right, bro, talk to us. Prove us to Jesus. Like, you remember that spot we always stopped at and, and, and ate on that trail? Where, where was it at? We, we, we put the donkeys by, by, the, by this lake. What lake was it? <laughs> they, they, they didn't know. They walked seven miles with Jesus. And we didn't know it was him. And then Thomas comes in, and he didn't believe. And we just call him Doubting Thomas and this and that. But what Jesus does for Thomas is something profound. Thomas says, number one, I'm struggling with doubt and unbelief that this is really you. And here's what I need from you. I need to see and touch your scars. He told Mary not to cling to him. He shows his scars to Thomas. He says, touch him. Thomas saw it, and he knelt down and believed. Jesus did two things for Thomas. He did something very personal for him that only Thomas needed. Some of you need something very personal from Jesus. Very personal. You've not, you've not, you've not shared that with him. And secondly, it was tangible. He could touch it. There was flesh on it. It some of you need God to do something tangible for you. You're praying for something. You're praying for a result. You need that. And can I tell you, your Heavenly Father wants to do that for you. Some of you feel just like John the Baptist. You feel like you're in a prison. Jesus isn't moving fast enough, and you need Him to do something right away. But can I tell you something? Share that with Him. But then give Him the opportunity to do something so personable and so tangible that you only know it's 
him. And I'm telling you, when God starts doing that in your life and, you're, and you start sharing how you really feel with your Heavenly Father, that is a deep relationship where you'll begin to serve God and grow deeper in Him as you get older instead of growing further away from Him as you get older. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you that you can handle our biggest emotional struggles with you. You can handle our anxiety. You can handle us dumping on you. You can handle, Lord God, our disappointments with the way we thought you handled things. I just pray, Lord, for everybody who's in here physically, for those watching online, help us express our feelings and emotions to you. Help us to open up to you. Help us to, to just to unload our tears upon you. Help us to have a Lieutenant Dan moment with you, God. And help us trust you with our emotions, God, that you are a safe place for us, that you care about our hurt, you care about our needs, and God, you want to hear every part of our hearts. Give us that courage to pray like that. Give us that courage to approach you like that. And what I pray, God, is healing in this place, inner healing with every person in here. As you begin to heal the wounds of the heart, they begin to bring up to you. Thank you that you're a good Heavenly Father who embraces us when we do that, not rejects us. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you walked away from your faith because you were disappointed, because you were hurt, because you were angry. Maybe you stopped coming to church for a long time and maybe you just started coming back. I'm not sure where you're at. Or maybe you've never began a relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, you want to give your life to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith, and here it is. You say, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit I don't have it all together. I need you. I need the Savior. I confess Jesus as my Lord, for I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he is Lord. So today, I now make Jesus Lord of my life. I repent of my old life. I receive new life in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.